Thank you very much. I'm really delighted to be here. Um, it's been an exciting decade for me, and the excitement mostly derives from what is the complete now genome sequence of the dog. The dog was sequenced in 2005, and just like the human sequence, it's led to revolution in biomedical applications, and also, and I think even more dramatically, to evolutionary biology. We know, for instance, now in humans, we have ancestry from Neanderthals and Denisovans, and similarly, we're finding out about the secrets of dog ancestry and how that relates to the process of evolution. So here are some of the interesting players in um, dog evolutionary biology. First, there's Shadow, who's Craig Venter's dog. And Craig Venter is the um, entrepreneur of genomicist who um, has a habit of sequencing everything around him, including his dog, a bucket of seawater from his yacht. And Shadow, like in the human situation, the sequence of Shadow actually beat out the organized sequence at MIT Broad and was published in 2004. Um, and the 2005 publication was of a boxer named Tasha, um, also a star in this show. And since I'm talking about the evolution of dogs from wolves, one of the other stars are gray wolves. And that is the ancestor of all domestic dogs. And this is a particularly interesting star of that show. It's a black gray wolf. If you traveled around North America, you'd find on typically half of a population of gray wolves are actually black. And this is a famous male, a real Casanova in Yellowstone, responsible for many offspring, is black. And that black mutation, that black gene, actually comes from ancient hybridization with domestic dogs, probably Native American dogs. And black wolves have higher fitness. They have higher survivorship throughout their life, um, and they have better resistance against disease. So dogs have conferred an advantageous allele on, on wolves, and that advantageous allele, that adaptation variant, has um, been sort of transformed the entire species, just in North America. Lastly, and not least, is um, my own dog as a child, and started me off on this inquiry, actually, because I just could not believe that that dog descended from recently from something like a wolf. <laughs> I mean, imagine how modified it is, not only in size, but in cranial conformation. You know, think about a weird-looking two-pound human. <laughs> and that human still walks and talks and catches frisbees and is entirely functional. Talk about laws of growth. So I'm going to focus on a number of issues today. First on what we now know from complete genome sequences and genome-wide studies about the timing of dog domestication. This is important because the timing provides us with a context that is an evolutionary context. How, what, what time did dogs get domesticated? Secondly, I'll talk about geographic origins, and that is where the dog was domesticated. This turns out to be a very difficult question and is now being resolved by ancient DNA and complete genome sequences. Then. I'll end with the nature of selection in domestic dogs. How have humans intentionally or unintentionally transformed the wolf into something that looks like the diversity of dogs today? So this is just the briefest outline of my talk. I'll begin with these wonderful genomic studies and also now are blended with um, similar studies on ancient DNA, how that provides us with insight about timing and location of domestication. Then I'll talk about something about traits in terms of phenotypic diversification. I already mentioned in the introduction this idea of juvenilization. And then I'll end up with what has been the meat of my work over the last decade that is talking about the genetics underlying discrete traits in domestic dogs. I'll begin with a little introduction, how to build a dog, tell us something about the process, and then 
what genes tell us, what is the genetic basis of phenotypic traits, and lastly, I'll try to sum it all up in a synthetic way, talking about evolution of the dog. So, to begin with, genomic studies. So these are studies of the complete genome of dogs that comprise about 2.4 billion base pairs. These genome sequences tell us an awful lot. In fact, in each one of you, your genome sequences is a kind of summary of the whole history of your species. And to think about that, imagine you have two parents and you share half of their genomes and then you have four grandparents. And we can go back to the point where you have a thousand ancestors, not just two or four, back through your reverse, through your family tree. And at that point, you have on the order of one over a thousand or 0.1% of your genome derives from those thousand ants, each of those thousand ancestors. So since you have three billion base pairs in your genome, you have three million base pairs from each of those thousand ancestors. That's a lot. So your sampling, your genome samples a huge population going back through time to the beginning of your species. So even a single genome can tell us a lot about ancestry. So with that introduction, we can start with the study of just six genomes, which we did do. We picked two very divergent dogs, Basinji and Dingo. Dingo um, um, in Australia has been there for 4,000 years anyway. And the boxer genome that was done. And then look at wolves from all the putative centers of origination. Chinese wolf, Israeli wolf, Croatian wolf, European um, origination. We can ask a number of questions of this phylogeny. First, look at this phylogeny. All dogs, all dogs are forming a single group, all wolves forming a single group. Pity, because we'd hope that one of these lineages would be more directly ancestral to domestic dogs and tell us something about where dogs are domesticated. Also, we can specifically look at the divergence times in this tree. Here's the ancestor of domestic dogs and wolves. That happened some period of time ago. And then not much uh, more recent than that has been the, domestic, has been the um, divergence of all these uh, different wolf populations. And then about the same time were the divergence of these very different breeds. So there is a problem. Wolves actually, even though they have hundreds of year, thousands of years of ancestry, they seem to have diverged all the living wolves really recently. And dogs at about the same time scale. So this is a problem because Wolves are so similar. Imagine if a new human species evolved in, from a population in Manhattan. And then sometime later, we, just, we wanted to find out, well, where did this new human species come from? Well, as it turns out, at that time, Manhattan, except for socioeconomic factors, was, those people weren't that different from people in the Bronx or in Brooklyn. So because they were so close at the time of that origination event, we can't really look back in time and tell which population that human came from. We have the same problem with dogs. What we can say is that dog origins, dog domestication, based on kind of a molecular clock idea, occurred about 15,000 years ago or more, likely more. So it's in the context of hunter-gatherers. This is where dogs were domesticated. And we have to think about dogs, the only large carnivore ever domesticated, in the context of hunter-gatherers. It must have done something different, different than most of our other domesticates that were domesticated in association with agriculture. Also, population size. We can re reconstruct that by um, analytical techniques. And it turns out that actually the common ancestor of dogs and wolves, the effective size, the sort of genetic size, was extremely large. If we look at the effective size today of dogs, 
something like 2,000. Wolves, also very small. And golden jackal, very small. This is similar to the situation in humans, where our effective size is on the order of 10,000, even though there are billions of us on Earth. That's because the expansion is very recent. Similarly, is the case with dogs. And what it means is that the population of wolves from which dogs evolved was much larger than the effective size of wolves today. So we can't compare modern wolves with dogs. We have to compare this ancient population, and that means the bottleneck, the genetic bottleneck during domestication was much larger than we thought. Lastly, and um, you know, to our dismay, admixtures are really common things. It isn't just one nice clean speciation event. Actually, dogs interbreed with wild wolves. You know, all, wolf, all dogs today aren't kept on a leash, neither were they in the past. They were roaming about freely and meeting up with wolves and cha- exchanging genes. The Sinji, um, with, with Israeli wolf, and even golden jackals and wolves. So admixture confounds our ability to reconstruct the ancestry of dogs. We can look at a, this population size in a completely different way. Here are years ago, and then this is the population size. Here are wolves. These are domestic dogs. For quite a time, they have a similar trajectory. That makes sense, because they have a common ancestry. And then the demographic tra- trajectories diverged, both declined till about 10,000 years ago. So there's a decline in both gray wolves and dogs. But this divergence probably symbolizes the start of the domestication process when the domestic dog gene pool was segregated from the wolf gene pool. So some things we can conclude from all this. Ancestral wolf diversity is 10 times higher than today. So dogs have gone through an extreme bottleneck. Dogs evolved with migratory hunter-gatherers. That is the evolutionary context we have to begin with to try to understand how dogs evolved. And we feel it has something to do with wolves adapting the habit of following humans around, and that caused them to be reproductively isolated from wolves that were resident um, and territorial. And that's the case, actually, in the high Arctic today, where we have migratory wolves following the barren ground caribou, and we have resident wolves that live in the same places but don't migrate. They are reproductively isolated. So here we're kind of stuck. We couldn't say all that much. We look towards ancient mitochondrial genomes. The fossil record of dogs is remarkable in that we have some dogs going back, dog-like things, going back 36,000 years ago. The wonderful thing is that these dog-like forms are nearly contemporaneous with wolf-like forms. So we can compare them and see whether they're closest to wolves or already on the trajectory of domestication. This is a blinding phylogenetic tree of all the mitochondrial DNA sequences that we looked at. I'm not going to make you study it. I'm just going to make one or two points. First of all, some of these very old dogs, which are in this light red color here, left no living ancestry in domestic dogs. And they were either aborted domestication events or they were a kind of wolf that we didn't recognize. And we know there are a few different kinds of wolves back then. The other thing I want you to realize is there are just four groupings of dogs today, what we call clades, all in red. And light red are ancient dogs, and dark blue are wolves, and light blue are ancient wolves. So kind of think the light color is sort of like ghosting, you know, the ghost of modern wolves. Let's look at all these clades individually, starting with clade, what we call clade D. So here in clade D, we look just close up, we focus in on the phylogeny. We can see that the, the closest living form is actually, the closest form, sequence, is from a dog, or a wolf, sorry, 
from Switzerland, light blue wolf. So this dog D, um, which these two sequences that are in this clade are found just in um, Scandinavian dogs. And that timing um, is something on the order of 18,000 years ago that those two sequences diverge. How about clade A? Part we call this A because it is the largest clade. It contains about 70% of the diversity, genetic diversity in dogs, 47 sequences. And we believe this is the, more, the, the oldest um, sort of big bang of dog domestication. They descend to about 18,000 years ago, and they have ancestry with gray wolves, again, from Switzerland. Ancient gray wolves, no longer living today. And the common ancestry of these dog sequences uh, and sequences from the New World, which are ancient dog sequences, and some of these are very old, eight and a half thousand years, and these are dogs that entered the New World before the Bering Land Bridge closed on the order of 11, 12,000 years ago. They're their oldest lineages of dogs that we can derive. They have been there you know, since the Bering Land Bridge closed. This is very kind of reassuring to us that these ancient sequences group with modern dog sequences to form a single clade, and they descend to a common origin about 20,000, 19, 20,000 years ago. And they have closest ancestry to wolves from Switzerland. Let's look at some other clades. Here are dogs, ancient dogs from Germany. They have closest ancestry to dog clade C and other wolves. Here, um, closest ancestry of Scandinavian wolves, uh, Ukrainian wolves to dog clade B that has 17 sequences in it. So that's it. Everywhere in the tree, there are no Chinese wolves close to living dog sequences. There are no Middle Eastern wolves. They're all European wolves or dogs. And we, we only are left to conclude that uh, dogs have a European origin about 20,000 years ago. Also, in these mitochondrial DNA sequences, because they evolve quickly, we can begin to see the sequence of expansion beginning about two or 3,000 years ago when human populations expanded as well. Okay, let's move on to traits. This is my fondness for dogs. I don't own a dog, but I love their diversity. And this just shows from an old American Museum pamphlet, the notion they just so, are so diverse that we can't really maybe account them from even a single um, wolf population. I love them because they're a model for um, diversification and the constraints on diversification, morphologic, anatomical constraints. And my first work focused on, as was mentioned earlier, juvenilization. And this juvenilization is sort of uniform among many different dog breeds. And you can imagine we like it in the sense that we've selected it because we love things that are puppy-like. And keeping this confirmation into adults might have been helpful or uh, desirable, and might have gone along with behavioral suites as well. My main point, actually, in looking at dogs first was it was perhaps this kind of great difference between puppy and adult dogs in morphology that drove some of this diversification in domestic dogs. We don't have the same kind of difference, say, between kittens and adult cats. I have cats. They all basically look the same in terms of cranial conformation. But dogs are vastly different because if we truncate this growth process, or speed it up, that is, keep the juvenile rate into adulthood, we can manufacture very dramatically different kinds of brainial conformation. Although I, I like this explanation, it wasn't satisfying without understanding the genetic basis, and that's why soon after my PhD, I just focused on molecular genetics. All right, so let's talk about that, the genetics of these traits. What kind of insight does that provide us? 
there are really two dominant mechanisms for building a new dog. First is you cross two individuals, they look the same, in this case identical, and then um, you find in your litter an, an unusual individual. And then you back cross individuals from the litter and you fix that morphology. Darwin called these sports. Well, they're mutants. He didn't know anything about genetics. And they're quite common in domestic dogs, and we feel are, are, explain the origin of many breeds. This kind of selection for a weirdness, for novelty, is something maybe that uniquely humans do and differentiate dogs from all the domesticated animals. Well, Darwin loved dogs, of course, and went around the countryside in, in, you know, making inquiries of breeders, asking them how they did their thing. And he came up with the idea that dogs were a good analog for natural selection. It's kind of artificial selection. And notioned the idea that there's progressive selection in many dog breeds. So that's the other mechanism. What we discovered um, in analyzing genetics of dogs is that basically all this variability is due to just a few um, characters, just a few genetic traits, just a few genes. And um, you know, this is very different from the case in other domestic animals. A gene called IGF-1, for instance, is responsible for more than 50% of the variation in body size in dogs. If we look at humans, 40 genes that affect body height only explain 5% of the variation. So dogs are very different in this way. So this is all summarized, in a sense, um, in this plot, which is a genetic similarity plot of domestic dogs. And what discovers from that plot is wolves are ancestral to domestic dogs. There are some ancient breeds. And that there are many breeds that breeders have classified according to function or phenotype, sight hounds, spaniels, herding dogs, they all share a lot of genetic similarity. The outlier here are, say, toy breeds, where each of the breeds owes their origin to a different genetic lineage. So what we hypothesize is there are two processes going on in domestic dogs. The first is breeding like with like. So we want to make a bit of sight hound. Well, we take an, another sight hound. It's already a distinct breed. Interbreed them, and we come up in the end over time with collectively a group that's genetically related but expresses this phenotypic trait that sighthounds have. The other process is discrete mutations, like these sports. Once these sports appeared, then they're shopped around all dogdom on different genetic backgrounds, giving the appearance of diversity, but actually the genetic toolkit is very narrow. And we tried to test this idea um, looking at historical records and verify the fact that at least toy breeds um, or dwarfism comes from a cross between a toy breed and a distinct breed. And this to end, this is just the process of evolution going on in domestic dogs. It's actually much more simple than we had envisioned. It relies, unlike other species, on sports. That process began in the Victorian era um, with the focus on novelty rather than function. And who knows where we're going next? I kind of think that this is an interesting future, uh, this sort of research. Um, this is a contest that, that was put up by a dog company. And um, I can't tell the difference between some of these dogs and their owners. Thank you very much.